Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello and welcome to the How To Academy podcast with me, Vas Christodoulou, and a rotating cast of the most brilliant writers, thinkers and artists around. In this week's episode, Matthew Stadlin goes toe-to-toe with Times columnist, restaurant critic and raconteur Giles Corrin in a freewheeling interview exploring his life, career and new book, Truth, Love and Clean Cutlery. Standing up. Would you like to make any introductory remarks? Because I was going to do my introduction, but if you're not going to sit down, you should say something. No, the, uh, Matt was very keen to come on first, uh, and that's, then that's not quite being, true, is it? And he said, "When, when come out when they start clapping," and there was a chance I wouldn't have to come out at all. Um, uh, and then they said, "No, you have to go out together," and there was no argument. So, do you want to say something nice about me? Or? I'll say something nice about you, but I feel awkward if you keep standing. I'll tell you Good. why I you feel, should feel awkward. Why? I'll tell you why I feel particularly awkward because the last time I interviewed Giles was for one of my old BBC Five Minutes with series, and he actually, and you can see it later online, if you don't hate us enough by then, he actually challenged me to a fight. That was so, many years ago. I know, but <laughs> I've insisted, to... insisted on a large table just to keep us separate in case I ask you a question that you don't like. Now you can sit down, Giles. Okay. So, my name is Matt Stadlin, and I'm a presenter on LBC. Are there any LBC listeners in the audience? I am delighted to welcome each and every one of you today, this evening, to Conway Hall and to this How To Academy event. I'm particularly delighted to introduce to you a man who really requires no introduction, Giles Corrin. And the reason he requires no real introduction is because you probably all know him from his Saturday Times columns. I think you're most famous for that, but you are also one of the top restaurant critics in the country. And you have now written this book. Well, that's not entirely true either. You've edited this book and are getting a lot of the reflective glory. I've compiled it. Yes. And it's called Truth, Love and Clean Cutlery. And it looks very serious. But inside, I know you should never judge a book by its cover, inside there's lots of colour photographs to keep you entertained. (laughs) (laughs) And Giles does actually write about three or four pages of it. It's every page. Every page. Which is good because he's famous not just for being an angry man, as we'll come to, but also, of course, for his way with words. Sometimes the two coalesce in quite spectacular fashion. Did you ever read his email that leaked in 2008? Well, it was a quite remarkable email, and it was to the the Times sub-editors, and it started by saying, Chaps, I am mightily pissed off. And then it went through all the different reasons why he was so pissed off that the word A 
had been omitted from his final paragraph. And you will explain just why you were so pissed off a little later on. But we are going to be talking about anything and everything, as Giles does in his column, but most particularly about eating sustainably, but also deliciously. So I'm going to start with a really softball question, Giles. Why did you write this book? Uh, I I started years ago... uh Probably 2002 or three, I started re- ranking restaurants in terms of their meat and fish, were they organically and, and, and sustainably sourced. And that kind of, back when it wasn't the thing that everybody did. Uh, and I felt quite strongly that... Well, they did it in The Guardian. So The Guardian made a big song and dance about the, the dolphins and the pandas and everything. But th- at that time, the, the Times didn't. And I felt, well, here I was, having been the independent restaurant critic, where I was going to say preaching to the converted, you're really preaching to nobody as the independent <laughs> restaurant critic. But uh, the... the uh, when, but then I was the Times restaurant critic, which was, you know, Murdoch paper and right, right, right of centre. It's a bit more lefty now. But anyway, I felt these were people who probably could be told the important thing, uh, so, so, you know, some important things about, um, about the way we eat. And also, partly, it's just something to say, because I, I did the job for a couple of years, and then you've done 100 restaurant reviews. And, you know, there's only so many times you can write, I, I walked in, sat down, had some chicken. Uh, it was a bit salty. The loos were clean, seven out of ten. Uh, and that's what this is my life. This is very, must try and do something with it. Uh, and food is an industry where um, you, you're going out to have a nice time. It's quite a nice industry to work in if you, can, if you get the right place, if you get the right, get your margins sorted out, employ nice people. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a lovely industry to work in. It's fun. It's kind of just down from show business. Uh, uh, well, a long way down from show business, but there's a lot of drinking and shagging, so it's a bit like that. Uh, and then, uh, and if you're writing about it, you, here is a place where we could, uh, we could set a good example. Um, we could, we could, uh, you know, we could look after the the, the chickens that, you know, because we're paying quite a lot of money, and that we know they're making a big margin. So, at the very least, it would be nice if if animals were being treated well, if uh, farming was being done in the right sort of a way. So, I just did that, um, and and it was complicated for people to say, "Oh, he's a terrible bastard," but at the same time, he cares about the lives of chickens. I was very confused, uh, I have to say, when yeah. I read this book for the first time. Because you think I'm a bastard. Yes. There is is an important point here, which is that you do push, and some would say more than push the line, you step across the line. And is that because you rather boyishly and naively assume that everyone thinks that really, deep down, you're actually quite a nice bloke? And therefore you can get away with prodding the line. You mean, am I a... Do I behave like a prick because I'm so handsome? Is that... (laughs) That people couldn't quite believe that you really mean some of the stuff that either comes out of your mouth or comes out of your... I mean, the stuff isn't that bad. But it depends... We're straying very far from sustainable restaurants, but we will return in a moment. No, but the whole point is... Yeah, we are. I sometimes get, get in... People get terribly upset about the things that I write, and I try to explain to people that I have to write three columns a week in The Times... I'm not going to make excuses, and I have to write. Um, and I write a monthly column in Esquire and a monthly column for Soho House magazine. But who cares? You can and, hear the sympathy from the audience. No, but I write a column pretty much every day, and only a lunatic would have that many opinions. I mean, you really couldn't possibly really care deeply about five different things a week. Uh, so you are sometimes, you know, and I can say my job is to have an opinion. Whether it is my opinion is not written there in, in, the, in the contract. So I drift to the edges of things to look at, well, how would it be? My father, who um, was, did, did the same uh, stuff that I do to a much lower level, um, to, uh, when it just, it just a local press, really, uh, when, when we were little. And he, he had advice for me when I, when I came home from school with, a, with a, one particular time with a, 
a school essay to write creative writing. I was about sort of 13 or 14. With, with, oh, I've got to write about this. this. Here's the title, and now write a creative thing. And people always thought my dad did my homework for me because I would get these very high marks and stuff. And sometimes he did. But on this occasion, uh, he, um, he said, whatever you're, when, you, when you look at a, when something you're going to write about, whatever your first idea is, the first idea that comes into your head, throw it away because everyone's going to do that. Uh, and I thought, okay, I'll write the second thing. He said, ah, the second idea that comes into your head, throw that away as well, because all the clever kids are going to do that. The third <laughs> idea that you have uh, will only be you. Uh, so it is. And you built and a career. sometimes I regret it, yeah. it. yes. <laughs> uh, but your, but that, your, your dad, who you, you, you so ungenerously maligned just there, was, of course, for those who don't know, a, a very famous... I was basing much, the fact... I was assuming they would know it to, in order to have said some that. Some might not, and he they might was not. much more the, famous The ones who you. don't know who my dad was think I did all this myself. <laughs> So uh, he was both a professional satirist. He was actually paid to be funny, but he was also much more famous than you. Did he help you? Oh, because he was older, he was. I'm not as famous as him yet. Yeah, okay, he was more famous than me. Yeah. And and very funny. And did he help you? Do you think to become funny as well as to write creative and original and interesting columns? Uh, possibly. By yeah, I mean that advice, for example, was one of the things. I'm always shy of getting into that. Not that sort of growing up at home, as if it was on, I was on desert island discs and I was like fucking evil in war or something. Where people really wanted to know what it was like. But in truth, uh, my my dad just talked all the time. Very very funny. Performed at the table, and you could quite hard to get a word in. And he really only valued funniness. Um, we're gonna, we're, we're, we didn't do the deep, open feeling stuff, particularly despite being sort of Jewish and theoretically kind of da 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 da. Really, it was just performance and funny. And then my sister and I had to try and sort of. Uh, my sister never really got into the business. She's a greengrocer, but um, uh, <laughs> she. she um, but we we all had to. You had to try and be funny. To, so so yes, and he was then enormously supportive of me. Later, I didn't even mention my mum. My mum was there, but she was a doctor. She was and it a doctor. pissed her off that we talked all the time. Um, and then so later when I did start writing corners, my dad just thought they were the best thing ever uh, and he just would always uh, call me up and say this column was really and not just like my mum since my dad died my mum knows she ought to call and she goes I know you don't really care what I think but this is a good column and I go which one and she goes oh the one about oh remind me uh, well, you phoned to tell me my column was great oh there was one there was one a couple of years ago my mum I spoke to my mum on the phone hi mummy how are you I'm fine if you go out for, let's, let's, let's meet up for tea one of these days and she said oh I meant to call you on Saturday to say how good your column was but I haven't read it yet <laughs> but I'm sure it is uh, that's really sweet of you but that's not the point of I mean praise is my dad used to say I liked that joke and that joke and that joke and that was really funny so then I always wanted him to admire the thing that I did. So I wrote quite a lot like him for a long time. And then after he died, not many weeks later, I wrote that email to which you refer. And that email, and so, and I only say, because after I wrote that email, the, um, the Guardian had on its front page, is this the angriest man in Britain? And there was a picture of me with my picture byline, rubbish picture. And my dad, and I would have been ashamed if my dad had seen it. And I then later, I got a call from a couple of agents who said, oh, you're so hot right now. You're so, I mean, that sounds not in a sexy way, just you're doing really well right now. Uh, and, uh, and, and I made this angry thing, but I would not have done that when my dad was alive. When I introduced you as the author of that email, not a sufficient number of people I felt in the audience had actually heard about the email. So would you like to tell us why it was that you got well, so angry? I can't angry? remember. Oh, come on. You're my super fan. You tell him. Okay, well, what you did is you emailed... A various a group. I'll tell them what happened. The, uh, the, uh, the, I, had, I had written a piece uh, about a restaurant in old, on Old Compton Street, which was uh, opposite the G A Y 
Club, which is called G.A.Y. It's not because I won't say the word. Uh, it's, it's opposite G.A.Y. And, um, and Old Compton Street has this reputation of being a sort of, sec- historically being a sexy gay hangout. And uh, I was uh, eating in a restaurant, and I, and I wrote about how it was, and I, the kind of things that used to happen on Old Compton Street and what you used to pay 20 quid for an Old Compton Street, but now you get something different. And I, and I, I paid off with, with some version of a line that was, uh, there are worse places to, um, it's, it's a great place to spend 20 quid Looking for a nosh. Like it was more and eloquently written than was you it? have spoken. It was because yes. I can't because my dad it was wrote about it, you. You, you would enjoy sitting in, the, in, in on this street, watching the boys and girls gaily playing, and considering where you might go for a nosh. Yeah, and the sub-editor took out the A where you might go for nosh. And the thing is, is that that doesn't have the the blowjob. Uh, uh, double entendre because you you, 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 you know you, you're getting a nosh you know, nosh me off darling maybe it's only in Jewish houses no but anyway it didn't have that so I then I wrote a letter furious that you know and I was saying how you know you can correct my English if you want but how dare you correct my Yiddish it comes from the German nation I'm, I'm making it up as I just because it was, it was a, and I said no, some terrible you, things you said to them that it was bad enough that they thought they understood English better than you but impossible that they could understand Yiddish better than you yeah there was that there was well they, yeah it's, it's, it went all over the world to the extent that when a couple of years later I met Martin Amis who I, Martin Hello. And Martin said, oh, Charles, I really loved your... And I had time to think, oh, my novel, maybe, that I wrote in 2005, or my column. Uh, email. <laughs> uh, literally, Martin Amis, lit, all he knew about me was that I sent an email complaining that we'd lost the blowjob ambiguity on a restaurant review with the word nosh. What, uh, what? The worst thing about it was that I was typing it late and a bit pissed, and so now it's just there, and it's on all over the... I mean, forever, just, Giles. Forever, forever. and yeah. it's... Oh, they, they study it in English A-level from Raoul Pindi to, to Zagreb. And, they, and, and it says in it, that there's, I've, I'm trying to tell them how bad it is that they've taken this indefinite article out of my hilarious blowjob ambiguous restaurant review. Uh, and I said, it's, it's like some pissed Irish plasterer, first of all, tiny bit racist, because Irish people do like... Yeah, Joyce, I was a bit Joyce shocked by pl- that line. I know, because you're shocked got, by anything that well. smells... You, he's very, very anti-racist, this man. Um, no, so am I. But it's just... He, he, I, I wrote, um, pissed Irish plasterer. I wouldn't do that now. I wouldn't say pissed Irish plaster. I would just say pissed plaster, um, but because Irish people do, they write symphonies and all sorts of stuff. So, so like it's like a pissed Irish plasterer. I went to write who thinks that Jesus looks shit with a beard, so plasters it out. That was my joke. But I typed thinks that Jesus looks shit with a bear, <laughs> and. Like, there was this whole level of exegetical biblical scholarship that people... Jesus is often pictured with a bear. A bit like... There's, that, there's the one... Is it Jerome? St. Jerome, who's always with a lion? Is it, I don't know. And then people came back to me, and we've been looking through the typology, and we can find nothing. And people, scholars from Cambridge, where, what, what is the bear iconography in... Is it an Irish thing? And I was going, no, I meant beard. But there's no way of going back and resending my incredibly abusive, horrible email with this really quite funny line corrected um, so yeah, yeah I have to say it confused me when I was reminding myself of the email so before we leave blowjobs and your father entirely behind can we talk about Jewish jokes because I imagine that your father was a good Jewish joke teller and I think you know a, a joke that involves I just told you a funny joke in the green room we can't waste minutes here just with me quickly. telling someone else's jokes Can't we? Can we not? But my, my, um, my, to be fair, my dad didn't really do Jewish jokes. He he thought that was all a bit embarrassing, and he was he was sort of a generation who grew up really quite 
orthodox and, and, and then it was all busy about being a kind of Englishman and just wearing tweed and a hat and people pretending to be not Jewish. And so he didn't really do Jewish jokes. And I've now, in the comfort of being an English public schoolboy, I've gone back to Jewish. Which one did you like? Well, let's leave the Jewish jokes. If you don't feel confident enough to tell your Jewish joke, we'll come back to them in a moment. <laughs> and, 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 and we will remind ourselves of that moment in 2004, because earlier you talked about 2003 roughly being the time when you started to be aware of sustainability and all these important, serious things. 2004 was the, the year in the book where you had an encounter with a waiter. Oh! Quick, interrupt quick, before yes. you get the wrong impression about that. Um, um, and, and this waiter was doing his duty. He, he didn't actually know what, where the salmon came from, but at least he went to ask the chef, and he brought back a message from the chef, which is kind of the premise for the whole book. But that was the premise. That was what started me writing in my restaurant reviews, always um, rating restaurants on the basis of the, of, of, the, of the sustainability of their produce, because I went into a, a fancy new pub that everyone loved, uh, in Highgate, uh, and they, there was a big thing with the, and the, the fish cakes, which sort of places it in time, because fish cakes was a very kind of 2002, 2003 thing. And I'd re- I had a friend who, was a, who worked in the, Angling Associ- the Anglers Association, and he'd been explaining to me about the effect of salmon farming on the, on the west coast of Scotland, and the lice, and the, what it does to the water, and the nitrates under the cages, and the, the wild salmon wild salmon is compromised and they escape and they mate and the salmon don't know their way back to there. And I hadn't really heard any of that stuff before and people hadn't really heard these things. And he, and he, and he said, really, you should eat wild salmon, but it's expensive and you wouldn't really have that. But the organic farming of salmon, uh, it's, it's better than nothing and it's, it's better than conventional farming. So I asked the waiter, who's the fish cake, is the salmon in the fish cakes? Where, where does it come from? Uh, where, this, where does it come from? And he said, the fishmonger. Uh, and I said, uh, right, well, where does the fishmonger get it? And he said, the sea? <laughs> and I went, yeah, or a river. Uh, being with the, and, and he said, I'll go and ask the chef. Uh, and that which is good, and in those days that was a quite a good answer. These days, they, you go into a restaurant, because of what I started, or partly you walk into it, and they say the salmon is called Jeffrey, uh, and, and he grew up in a small uh, place in Chislehurst, uh, and he's, he was killed, he died in his sleep, actually, he did. Uh, and he was fed only on a diet of um, Brussels sprouts. So, but in those days they didn't do that. And he went into the kitchen, and he said, the the chef, oh. and the chef says, who gives a fuck? <laughs> oh, I see. And that was one of those moments as a restaurant critic when you think, yeah, this is good news. But I mean, really, the great thing about being a restaurant critic is if the food isn't very nice and it's, if it's horrible, you know, that's copy. That's great. And you, you, want to be, you want the staff to be nice to you, but if they're mean to you, that's great because you're going to fucking kill them uh, in print and it's lovely. Uh, and in this situation, he said, the chef doesn't give a fuck. Uh, the chef says, who, who gives a fuck? And then, I don't know, then later, and I thought, ah, I won't have the fish cakes then. Uh, and then later I saw this same chef. This was in the uh, quite relatively early days of the Open Kitchen, which was a sort of late 90s gastro pub, Jamie Oliver thing. Um, and I saw this, this uh, I saw the chef double dipping, uh, which, is, uh, which is, you know, tasting the sauce and then, and then putting it in another sauce, which has gone on for hundreds of years in closed kitchens. They didn't understand. And they used to have doors on their kitchens and they could do whatever they liked, put whatever they wanted in our sauces. But once you are an open kitchen, you have to do it slightly better. And I just saw him go, who gives a fuck? And I thought... What does he give a fuck about? I mean, what is in the, why is he working in this? In, in, he's he's going he, to make 35, 40 grand a year. He's not going to get rich. Uh, he's he's, he's, he can, he's going to be feeding people. It's hospitality. It's, a, it's quite a nice living. You can support yourself and your, your family up to a point. Um, uh, you, you, you get to eat nice food. You have a drink at the end of the day. So, and look after your customers. 
if, if you don't give a fuck about the salmon, you don't give a fuck about the dipping, why, why don't you just get, why don't you get a proper job? Uh, and so I then thought, from henceforth, I will now give them marks. Anywhere that this answers, I don't give a fuck. They will just get naught out of ten from me, and then they won't. Uh, they, then they, they'll be bad for their customers. This was in the days before the paywall, when people read what I wrote. So, uh, uh, so the paywall is doing well now. The, the paywall is doing well, and the Times is solid, and it's all because of me, and that's fine. But in those days, lots of... I mean, the, the reviews were very... And before it was before the internet. It, was before, well, it wasn't before the internet, but it was before social media and all that kind of thing. So really, a newspaper, the two or three main restaurant reviewers were the front line, and you could affect people's business, and I, ref- and I started, I refused to review people or give them any kind of score if they didn't do these ethical things, and it made people think I was I nice. I almost found myself saying, modesty aside, Giles, but obviously that was no My modesty, I put that. it aside before I came out here. <laughs> modesty aside, mm. to what extent do you think you actually have started to change the culture, and how, how far has the culture changed? How, how much do we all give a fuck now? Hugely. It's impossible to tell, uh, because it's... Um, I, I obviously can't have done as much as Hugh Fernley Whittingstall. I mean, I, I haven't been that visible. But you, but at the sort of uh, at that level, I think I was quite influential. Uh, um, uh, I did a thing about a couple of years later with tap water. Um, when I when I just it, I, I just got fed up with being charged five quid for a bottle of Hilden, uh, which didn't really taste any different from tap water. Uh, and I, this was a conversation I had with my dad, who was then still alive, who thought the mad thing about mineral water. He said, "Just imagine if they'd invented mineral water." in bottles in the mid-19th century, and only now did Mr. Evian come and say, invented this thing, it's called a tap. Uh, you put it in your kitchen, you turn it on, and out comes the water, you can fill it yourself, you don't need to buy a bottle. I thought, he's quite right. It was, it's completely the wrong around. There is no reason to buy this bottle stuff at all. And then in America, they offer you, they always put, you know, bottled water on the table, they always put uh, tap water on the table. Let, let's boycott it, let's com- have a complete ban on, on bottled water, that, that, that should stop completely. And I ended up, going, I had to debate on Radio 4, um, and, and then the Evening Sander took it up, and then it got a thing. And now, generally speaking, you will always be offered tap water, I think, in a restaurant. And I, think, I, I feel like I, I did that. But. And to what extent do you really understand sustainability, Charles? Oh, not at all. <laughs> so in compiling this book, which not having that much time, and, 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 and you can do 350 restaurants and get them together, in, in, trying to find 350 sustainable restaurants isn't that easy. And I, I worked with the Sustainable Restaurant Association, who I'd worked with... Um, for quite a long time on, on, my, on my columns. And, you know, understood about that there are for ideas like McDonald's, which you would think, yeah, boo, sucks, they're killing the planet. When McDonald's decided to use free-range eggs in their mayonnaise for that disgusting Big Mac sauce, that had, that had more effect on global hen welfare and sustainability than a hundred hipster restaurants that weave their own plates and recycle their sweat to make your drink and only use mice that they find dead of natural causes and whatever. It's all of a degree. One of the, so in, in the end, one of the things we had in there, although all the places that do those amazing things, and they are, and they grow vegetables on the, on the roof with the rainwater and stuff like this, but then, you know, something like being vegetarian is a massive step. And, and uh, you know, there's all these people that everyone should go vegetarian, and I, I, I don't fancy that myself. But, but um, have you considered it? I've considered it recently. Considered, yeah. Uh, because, did... because I did do some serious research for this conversation. It involved calling up a guy called Philip Limbury, who is the chief executive of Compassion in World Farming, and he's actually done a lot of good stuff in his life. I mean, he's made the lives of about a billion farm animals better through his charitable work. 
And he wants to know to what extent restaurants really can help in the sustainable game by reducing the amount of meat and dairy. And I'm just briefly going to introduce one statistic to the evening, and that will be it. He says that half of the world's usable land space is agriculture, and 80% of that is used to rear animals, either for dairy or for meat. And yet we get 30% only of our protein as human beings from that 80%. So in other words, we're trashing the planet. There are only 60 harvests left. The soil's going to run out in 60 years' time, according to the United Nations. I'll be 110. Right. But it does actually matter. And what he wants to know is, can restaurants seriously... That's scary. 60 harvests left, really? It's very scary. Can, Can restaurants wean themselves gradually off meat... And, and, and also... And he's done all that work and he wants to know what I think. He does. He hadn't um, actually heard of you when I called him up. But then he, I don't... I disregard him. He cal- said he was going to Google been, you afterwards. If he's been counting how many hectares of soil are left in... How would he have had time to read witty bollocks in the Times? None. Um, uh, I think that's the thing we have to do. And I have toyed with it. For example, it, it, there's the little things you can do in your own life, which ultimately it's all going to be done by... You know, small numbers of people in the de- educated people in the developed world who care deeply, and is it going to really have any effect? Or, and then you could look at what your kind of effect is out in the wider world. And so mine is what I do at home doesn't really matter. Basically, this is where I carry on eating meat and tell everyone to stop. But, um, but, but my, my presence is quite big in the food and the restaurant world. And so I had started to ask myself, partly cli- with, with the climate change protesters who, um, uh, whatever one thinks of their methods and whatever one thinks of the science, there's that. But then today, yesterday, the, the species, the million species that are uh, threatened. And I always say to her, but what about if you did the things that the people who believe in climate change want us to do, life would be better anyway. So w- we could do those things. Um, but, then, but then the extinction is, is a separate thing. And I think the thir- on the list of the five things that were causing it, food production was higher than carbon emissions. Um, and I mean, it means you get to drive to your vegan restaurant, basically. Uh, and 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 I thought I should probably stop promoting meat. And I, and I wondered, well, what's the way to? Because I do like eating it, so this would be quite a sacrifice. We're all going to have to make these sacrifices one way or another. So perhaps I could not write about it. I could declare I am no longer. Because I, I, I don't, for example, write about foie gras, and I don't promote the eating of foie gras, and I think foie gras production is bad, and I don't think it should be encouraged. I do sometimes eat it because it's delicious. But I just never write about it. And I feel that's, is that it's better than nothing, I think. I don't know. Um, my, <laughs> my way, by the way, of dealing with this on LBC is I, I, I do a two-hour phone-in on veganism. And I say, I have to admit, I'm not a vegan. Can you spend the next two hours persuading me to become one? And then I get to fulfill my moral duty and we have a full switchboard for two hours. Yeah, that's very good, because you you have to choose ideas that keep people talking to you. So if I get too boring, because people come to me for this, theoretically, this sort of slightly left-field, entertaining, maybe funny thing, if I start going, oh, stop eating meat, they will go away if you can't can't make it funny, and then no one, really nobody cares what my opinion is. Could you give us some top tips from the book, sustainable but tasty places to eat out in London? Because I did notice, by the way, that it's it's a book about the United Kingdom, although when it comes to Scotland, it's Edinburgh and the rest of Scotland. Rubbish, there's lots of... And when it comes to the south-east of England, it's Brighton and the rest of the south-east of England. But London does get a big chunk. London's where the restaurants are. Tell us some really good ones. Do you know how I I researched that book by typing restaurants sustainable into Google? Uh, (laughs) They all came up in a row. But so a lot of the the restaurants I'd already been to in the course of my work are in there. There are 350 in there. I've been to, I went to about 220 of them. And the others, it's a listing thing. But mostly it's about 
auditing the restaurants. So the ones who we thought about including, we'd write to them, they'd write back, what are they doing, talk about the things they're doing. They're so unlikely to tell you that they're really unsustainable in reality, are they, Charles? Uh, you, 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 you bringing my journalistic cynicism under the microscope there. Uh, no, they don't want to perjure themselves. Though. They don't, there wouldn't be perjury. They don't want to. There'd be a trade description thing. If they said they did something... And they wouldn't the be in the book next did. year, right? So, and they, they wouldn't be in the book next year. Was, 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 it'd be embarrassing to be in the book this year if it turned out there was something bad that they'd done. They, they've also all been ordered by the Sustainable Restaurant Association. So the SRA, which is a very good organisation that, that, that keeps restaurants honest in that way, was... Uh, happy with our list, audited all of them, so they are all good. And the, 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 I don't claim to have been to ones that I haven't been to. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Have you noticed that you haven't actually answered the question, which is, can you give us some top tips? Okay, uh, there's this place. Uh, no, they're all very sustainable in here. The point about that is that all restaurants, all the restaurants in this book are small independent businesses, so they are, they are not people who are operating on massive margins. So the ones that are closing down, everyone's talking about the high street restaurants that are closing down, the likes of Carluccio, those are the ones that aren't sustainable. They're not sustainable in any sense. They are hiring uh, sort of itinerant labour that has nothing to do with the community. They're putting nothing back into the community. They're not offering food that has anything to do with anything apart from sort of spurious notion of Italian food, you know, uh, and people are, and, they're, and uh, the, the reason they're closing is people don't want that anymore. These restaurants, to, 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 to to the, the phrase the hipsters, you know, the hipsterization of food, it's a thing which has come about with the youngish people who've been trained in the industry, don't like what they see, setting up small independent restaurants, and they do things which are naturally sustainable because, first of all, they don't have that much money. They're embedded in the community. So this is not just about organic food and produce. It's about putting something back into the community, hiring local people, getting local uh, unemployed people or disabled people involved in, in schemes and, and stuff like that. Um, saying that. Getting them involved in schemes sounds like I don't do it myself very often, and it's true. I don't know what that means. Uh, but they, but it's, 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 do, it's, do, it's doing the right thing. They will, by and large, have very small menus. They won't be wasting a lot of food. Food waste is a huge issue. Uh, you, in, in, in all the restaurants in this book, you're going to be finding uh, a menu which is at best, six, at most, six starters, six mains, three puddings. Uh, if, if, when something is off, it's not available anymore. When I started in this job, the, mo- the complaint I used to get most often was, I went to this place, you recommended the fish, I got there and they'd run out of the fish. What sort of restaurant is this? It was a restaurant that hasn't ordered a million fucking fish because they can only, you know, they can, once something is no longer available, you have to be able to move down the menu and have something else. So um, it, it, it's, it's to do with uh, being focused on a single meal on a single night. And uh, then, then it becomes about uh, local sustainable seasonal ingredients. I've got three quick questions on the subject of what it's actually like to be a restaurant critic. So the first is, given that you are quite well-known, not as well-known as your dad, but reasonably well-known, and you have a picture in your Times column, surely lots of the people, lots of the restaurants, if they're, if they're worth their, their salt, will recognise you when you go in there to sit down. And does that in any way an inhibitor for a real experience? Poss- yes, possibly. I... I um, uh, my readers know that the, the, the experience is filtered through me. I don't. I book under an assumed name. My wife normally says hello. We're here. I sort of go shuffling in, not looking at. The, they think I'm going to do a runner or something because uh, I try to not, not be too egregiously me. Uh, in the end, to be honest, it, it, when they, if they do, and they don't always 
Because I do now do low, these days, I, I do much less of the sort of flashy, poncy restaurants, partly in the name of sustainability and, the, in the, and, and reviewing restaurants that people can actually go to. So uh, cheaper restaurants, uh, regional, ethnic restaurants. You know, a, a Sichuan restaurant in Nottingham, they don't know who I am, or care. Uh, and it's very nice and, and, and relaxing. If I go into one of the big new openings, uh, then, then there's only so many staff to go around and they recognise me, almost a coroner and a glass of free thing. I'm like, I can't have the free thing, sorry. And then the sort of the cheese waiter's so excited that I'm there. He's wheeling his trolley, not really looking, and wheels straight out of a first floor window <laughs> and out of the street. And they bump into things and they're shaking when they're pouring the wine, clank, clank, clank. I'm like, well, it's only me, for Christ's sake, don't be so nervous. And then and they all wonder what he's going to write. And so that is actually makes it makes for quite a dull evening. The worst thing is when I'm with people who are quite excited to be out. I, I said, just, just don't say anything. Just Let's just go and have a meal. The book is able to just... I'm, it's under an assumed name. The name is, is Whiz Beach. I'll see you there. Just don't make anything about it, me. And I sit down, and the waiter comes over, and they go, are you reviewing this, Giles? My friend says, because they want to get this special critic service. And then they complain about things. So the waiter comes over. The, when the other waiters come over to go, is everything all right? I go, yeah, it's fine. Because it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And because I, and I, and, if I... And then, and then, and then some, some smart-ass friend of mine will go... Well, actually, I thought, I thought the turbid was overdone. Oh, they, they'll kill them. They're going to kill themselves. They're now going to spend two weeks trembling, waiting about it. You'd never, ever give them your stupid opinion, which no one cares about anyway. Uh, and, 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 and then I have to be so egregiously pleasant about everything was and say that how, how to, just, to, just to make up for that. How on earth do you manage not to be fat, given you review all these restaurants? Uh, it's, it's vanity. I always, because I always get asked this, I always think I should have some clever answer. Or I ought to say, it's this miracle pill I can sell you. That would be the best thing, wouldn't it? It's only nine ninety nine. Take it before a meal. Um, there's a, there's a new, there is a new pill. There's a thing called, oh, what's it called, which I read about in the paper the other day, called um, Plenity. It sounds awful, really, sort of, um, you know, Plenity. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, you, it's a pill they're thinking of prescribing to people to eat and to, to take before a meal, and then you, you're not as... Makes you feel less hungry, so you don't eat as much. From the Latin plainness, meaning full. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Is that the etymology of anus as well? <laughs> so you take the pl- off anus and you empty through your anus, and therefore you become. No, it is. It is. Yeah, plenity, plenitude. Um, plenty of, so, so you take this plenty pill, and it just seems to me a wrong way around to, to, to target the problem of obesity, just to take a pill which persuades you that you've already had your meal. It's like you cure, cure, cure adultery by this pill called fuckity. It makes you think you've just shagged somebody. Uh, it's really, it's genius. Or like boozity. Here's cure your drink problem, but here's a pill that makes you pissed. Um, it, 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 so I, I, um, uh, I don't know. I don't. I differentiate myself from other restaurant critics who are all a bit sort of podgy and bilious, and they were more. They're, they're getting better now, but when I was when I started in the job, it was just this idea of these sort of fat old men drinking. And then when 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 in in, in sort of two thousand four five they when TV really food TV really kicked off, and there was Nigella and Jamie and Gordon, and they came looking for people to present TV, so they didn't want really fat people. Uh, on the TV because they're fattest and it's all about what you look like on the TV. Um, and so they went to the restaurant critics and they were all huge fat, apart from me. So I got to be on the telly and then I thought, right, well, I can't get enormously fat because I'm on the telly. So um, I just do a line of coke before, every time I go up before dinner and it sorts me out. How difficult is it to... No, I skip meals. Truth, I skip meals. Have a big lunch, don't have dinner. If I'm having dinner, don't have lunch. That's it, meal skipping. A little bit of uh, as well. I think the jury is probably still out in the room as to exactly how nice a bloke you are. But let's assume, <laughs> let's assume for a second that you are quite nice. 
How tricky is it to write that, that totally damning review that risks putting a small business out of business? Uh, you wouldn't have used business the first time if you knew you were going to have to say it again, <laughs> would you? There, um, the, That's writing for you. Uh, tricky. Um, don't, I don't do it. So uh, I, I've, uh, I, I, don't, I never mention a, a staff member in, in once... 20 years ago, I, uh, I, I wrote a review in which I complained about the waitress. Uh, not even complained that much, she, she was a bit rubbish. And she wrote to me a week later, she lost her job. And then I found her a job with her because I, I know lots of people in the restaurant business. And if they don't do what I tell them, I fuck their restaurants. So, so I said, You need to give this waitress a job like now. And they did. Uh, and I said, She's not very good, but if you don't give her a job, I'm going to fuck your restaurant. Uh, and so. So, uh, so they gave her a job, and she was really grateful, and I was really pleased. And never since then have I mentioned a restaurant, uh, mentioned a, a staff member by name, because I do not want to get anybody fired. I have a lovely job, and I, it's a, the best job in the world, and I get paid well, and it's marvellous, and I do not want anyone to suffer. Also, when I write things, ever since I started in the business, I don't really want to make anybody cry. And, I really don't, and, and so the idea that someone read my paper and cry is... is so I, I try and only write mean things about people that I think can take it. Which uh, takes got, us to your Saturday column, yeah. where you don't quite have the same approach as you do to your restaurant critiques, how do you decide what you're going to write about? You've said to me previously that when you are not pissed and you're in a happy place, you can write your Saturday national newspaper column in two hours. Is yeah. this still true, or does it take longer now you're older? so long since I was happy and sober that I couldn't possibly tell you. But yeah, that's the thing. It's, it, it's, um, you go through the papers, you look for an interesting thing to come out, something which, like my dad said, it's the, it's the, third, the third way of looking at it. Um, so, uh, for example, my, my Saturday column last week was um, Superbugs, said the uh, chief medical officer, are more likely to kill us than uh, climate change, more likely to end life on Earth. So that gave me the good news, climate change isn't going to kill us all. Something else is. Uh, Superbugs. And then I did a league table of all the things which are more likely to kill us than climate change. And, you could go to, and it was quite a good column and it went, went, went down quite well. Uh, when, when looking through the papers... Um, if, I'm, if I'm sober and well-slept and reasonably happy in my life and haven't had a row, then just stories leap up out of the papers. If I'm a little bit hungover and, or miserable or have just TV shows got a really bad review or someone's been mean to me on Twitter or something like that, then I, the papers are mysteriously empty of anything funny. And it's really strange to find that it's basically my own unconscious there and it just the, the papers look all lively and zippy and full of stuff if I'm happy and if it's not I don't, I don't suffer from actual clinical depression I don't think but I mean it, but you have ups and downs you've done a lot of psychoanalysis is that true? I have had a lot of psychoanalysis if I'd done a lot of psychoanalysis I'll there'd be a lot of really fucked up people out there uh, but uh, I have had I have had a lot of psychoanalysis but I mean uh, did you uh, see when I said my sister's a greengrocer, it's not true. Uh, uh, but w- when I went to have... My sister arranged me to have psychoanalysis. Okay, so I went to see my shrink, and I said... And then I had this worry that people in my line of work often have. I went to see her, and she was going to get in there and find out what was wrong with me and why I'm so dark and angry and violent. And not violent to people, violent to walls, objects. Yeah. Walls and objects and myself. Uh, and, and, um, and I said to my sister, the thing I'm really worried about is... You know, she unpicks my personality... What if when she's finished? What if I'm not? What if when she's finished with me, I'm 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 not funny? And my sister said, "You're not that funny anyway." <laughs> it's not a problem. And she's probably right. <laughs> right, it's your chance to ask a question. If you put your hand up, I think we've got roaming mics. Yes, we do over there. Um, I wanted to give Giles the suggestion of an answer to the question you keep getting asked about how you keep slim when you eat so many meals. Because my wife sitting alongside me is also a restaurant reviewer, and whenever she's asked that question, which is almost every time we're out, her answer is always to the person 
um, I eat the same number of meals that you eat. I just eat lots of them in restaurants. It's a very good answer, Joss. What do you think next time? Yeah, I'll say it next time. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also say, while the mic's being over there, that I did become thinner when I started reviewing restaurants because the stuff that you eat it that you review in restaurants, it is not what makes you fat. When, when I, I, I used to live on big bowls of pasta, like English pasta, not little Italian, now then, like, a bowl of pasta, you know, and pizzas and stuff like that, and all those carbs and that kind of stuff, and that's what makes you... You, you, you go to restaurant Gordon Ramsay and a little foie gras and a thing, and a thing that, well, not the foie gras, but, uh, you that, that, you, that doesn't make you as fat, I think. Uh, tipping, good or bad? Tipping, good or bad? I, I love tipping, and I think that the inclusion of uh, service charges on bills is a shame because it deprives me of the opportunity to be generous. Uh, but not least because I always want to tip over and above. But if the service is included, and it's, you have a meal and it's 100 quid, and then they take 12 and a half, so they take £12.50, I want to give them a tenner, but I want them to know that I know that I've already given the £12.50 and this is extra. I don't want them to think that I don't know and I'm actually being mean and only giving 10% of this hypothetical amount that I think hasn't got a tip included in it. So you always have to go, is the service included? Yes. Oh, good. Here's some more money. Uh, to show, which, I, which is what I now do to try and show how generous I am uh, because I think it's nice. But people generally, I mean, I was uh, a waiter for a, on and off for a number of summers and then for a year when I, when I left university. Uh, and at the end of the day, you'd, you'd, you, could, you could see how much you've been tipped because there are your tips, and then you divide it by what percentage you got. And I never got more than about eight or nine percent, even though. And, and they, this was in the days before. I was a rubbish waiter, uh, but and some people would get eleven or twelve. But, but English people are quite mean about tipping. You know, Americans tip a lot. French tip slightly better. Here, I think we had to include the service because people. People, people are mean about it, but I think it's a shame. I think, it, I think it's nice to tip. It's, it's a slightly awkward. I have, I have a friend who, who sort of tips, if you go to a restaurant or a hotel and then the, the, the guy in the hat calls you a... I'm trying to make this sound like it doesn't happen to me all the time and it's some sort of rarefied posh experience. But you know when the doorman gets you a cab. Uh, and he, he gets the cab and then he, he sort of puts some money into him to say thank you. And I just don't know how. And I go to kind of shake hands and like put it in his hat or something I don't know how to get the money into, and you have to like have it folded up and ready and when you go to America you go to New York and you're expected to tip but it's quite hard to know what to do and they're expecting some and it's like a dollar a bag for the, and luckily they have small money because five pounds is quite a lot for a guy who's got you a cab but you can't give him coins like he's a, like your child who's come on to buy his two pound oh I think I've got a 50 pit as well but in America they luckily they have these dollar bills and if you go boom and run they don't know that they're not like 20s until, it, until it's too late so, so it's like it's a, it's a minefield but I think in theory it's a good thing um, I'm curious to know if you still loathe French cuisine uh, no. I mean, that was a, that was a sort of... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I said I loathed it. I think I, said, I think I said I loathed Portuguese cuisine. That was complicated. Um, but um, uh, it's the, I, there was a time when I was trying to explain to my readers who, uh, that, that things have changed and that when you go out to a restaurant now, and this was, I was probably telling them 15 years ago, it's not just about some... Frenchman in a bow tie who makes you feel stupid when you walk in and you say, and, uh, and you say oh, I recommend very much the Aubryon 83 and you have no idea where it's in the book and I don't know what the naming dishes that you didn't really uh, you didn't understand and, and it was as an English person for my parents particularly I know my, English, my, my parents would have felt a little bit awkward in, in, in restaurants because my dad would always order the wine that he knew how to say because he didn't want to say the wrong kind of wine he'd order the same meals because he didn't want to be caught 
pronouncing them wrong. Uh, he would try and speak French to them, but didn't, he, it, it, in Italian restaurants, my dad, because he couldn't speak Italian, would say things like, my daughter, Vittoria, she have a lasagna, uh, because he kind of wanted to meet them halfway, uh, so that he didn't feel less intimidated by it. Uh, and, and, so, and I would say, no, it's, it's, it's fine now to be English, and English cuisine is good, and we, we, we have good food, and I think that French cuisine's in a bit of a backwater. I mean, I mean, I was, you know, the thing I said right at the beginning about, I propose an opinion, not necessarily my opinion, I sometimes struggle now when I go to France, I go to French restaurants, and, I, and, I, and they, they, the oeuf dure mayonnaise for the starter, and then the steak, and, then the, and I think, and the creme caramel, or the, some awful cocky Saint-Jacques. I think, God, have you not, do you not know what we're doing? We're barbecuing ptarmigans, and you know, we're, we're making our own kimchi in London, and then you're... Uh, and, and so I, I sort of was, was taking a sort of reactionary position against, not reactionary, a radical position against, against French cuisine, just as a way of saying that things have changed. But, but uh, no, I've eaten lots of nice French food recently. Last time I interviewed you, you gave yourself seven out of ten as a cook. Has that gone up or down over the past eight I years? played your silly game once, Matt. I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, the service is terrible. Uh, <laughs> you said it was very good last time. Did I? I did. You make it, I mean, look, make these people feel they're having a fresh experience, not just you're going through our old... No, uh, do I, my cooking, now? I do it less and less. I was quite a good cook. My wife is now a, a good cook, a better cook. Uh, she does most of the cooking. Um, I've even become one of those people who says, what's for dinner? Which is just awful. I mean, it's, it's just... I think even the bad old days, men. I'm going to be sitting down with a napkin in my thing going clang, waiting for it to be put down. I mean, I, I don't... I haven't cooked anything new and exciting for a very long time, so... Are you... Am I a good lover? <laughs> you don't seem quite so touchy about people inter- interrupting or changing your sentences as you speak them as you do on the page, but I'm going to ask you the question that I was going to ask you, which is, are you a good dad? Yes. But, I mean... The best Twitter video I think I've ever seen is pinned to your Twitter profile in which you are playing Scalectrics. Uh, Evil Knievel. Ma- Dr. McEagle, Evil McEagle. Dr. McEagle. This boy is 10 years younger than me, which is... He's oh, 39, are you 39? He doesn't know who Evil Knievel was so, so, so t- tell us uh, about your evil Knievel no no just that evil Knievel in the late 70s he was a big deal he was he, he had he, he came and did jumped over things on his motorbike and always nearly died and broke millions of bones and there was a wind up rah, 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 evil Knievel you get that shot along the floor and jumped in the air anyway I had one and I uh, and I found it when my kid was about four and I, I found my old Asterix books which I used to make the rants and you lay them in a row Mansions of the Gods, Asterix in Switzerland, and then, and then, anyway, and then I just, I, and my son just thought it was amazing and so much more exciting than stupid Peppa Pig on his iPad, uh, and and so yeah, and so that that's pinned, that's pinned, that's a pinned tweet on my Twitter feed, and it's had like four hundred thousand views. I mean, four hundred thousand people have looked at it. It's nearly as many people who have seen me telling a sub-editor to fuck off. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and um, yes, no, and I am a good dad, you know, and. Um, it's a silly thing to brag, and I mean, everybody thinks that they're a, a good dad, I'm sure. Um, but uh, that's the thing that I do most. And I, and, and, and I, um, I take my kids to school every day, and I bath them and feed them every night. And, except when I have to come and do things like this, and they're probably at home crying because of you. Uh, but they're, they're the main thing in my life. And, and, and the th- you know, I, I go out with them every night, and, uh, and if I feel miserable or lonely or sad because I can't write a column, I just, you know, I've got, I've got my kids there, and that makes everything... I'm not that I'm using them in any way to, to make, but, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I, yeah, I take my son to Arsenal. What greater love is there than that? We're going to finish with two quick food questions and then you're going to sign books for everybody. So the final two questions are, and very quickly, favourite ever meal, and the second one is going to be favourite ever restaurant. 
pre-GCSE questions, but I'm sure we all want to know the answer. I did O-levels. I don't even know what GCSE is. <laughs> oh, the, say, the best meal I ever had was at El Bulli. Uh, probably the first time I went... My first time I went to El Bulli uh, uh, was about 2002. Another restaurant critics from here hadn't been, and I'd heard all about it, and I went. And, uh, and it was a thing... It was unbelievable. It was, a, it was um, just on this, this mountainside in the Costa Blanca, and, and I was served a carbonara where the tagliatelle was actually made from chicken consomme, so when you curled it up onto your... And, and it was truffles uh, rather than mushrooms. And you, 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 put the, you put the noodles in your mouth, and then they just disappeared and went down your throat like a soup. Uh, and uh, there was a baked potato consomme as well, which was just like a soup, and you ate the soup, and a bit of tasted of um, baked potatoes. Uh, and I don't know, everything was just absolutely amazing. And I wrote a really entirely uh, very straight, honest, brilliant piece of restaurant criticism about it, with not a whiff of pretension, in which I'd said, I, I wrote that uh, he didn't feed us, he deflowered us. <laughs> uh, which is literally worse to have on the internet than this, 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 this rudeness to a sub-editor. Terrible. And favourite meal? That My favourite meal. Well, that, I mean, that was that, a, that was a nice meal. Uh, do you know? I mean, my favourite meal. My favourite meal there is is a. Having said about this baked potato soup, every time I ever have. Uh, I'm left alone if my wife goes out in the evening and the kids are asleep and there's football on the telly then a, a baked potato in the oven at 450 degrees the hottest your oven will go or even an agar with the top thing in there for like an hour and a half longer than you would think you really wanted to be until it comes out till it's really really hot and, and black and slightly paper on the outside and you smash it with a spoon put loads and loads of lurpak in and, uh, and salt and pepper smash 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 and then and that just tastes like a bonfire night baked potato I mean, it's like it's been in a fire from when you were a child that is that, that's my actual favourite thing Please join me in thanking Giles Corrin very much. This week's podcast starred Giles Corrin and Matthew Stadlin and was produced by me, Vas Christodoulou. Subscribe to this podcast and visit our website, howtoacademy.com, to find a whole host of live events, films and podcasts starring everyone from Google's senior leadership team to rock stars like Patti Smith and Pete Townsend. Thanks for listening.